the same Ponzinomics that push Luna to its peak, the opposite happened. They've got UST, so they're like, no, 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 I need to get out of this. So they're getting rid of UST, they're ending up getting given Luna, then they're selling Luna to then get into something that's neither of them. And so you just get this feedback loop of a race to the bottom for both. Started during lockdown, needed something to do. They looked at each other, they said, hey, I like talking to you. And so from a garden shed in a box room in West London, they're discussing tech. It's the Small Time Bets podcast. Did you watch Google I.O.? Well, I've got some questions for you. So the Pixel Watch looks beautiful. Yeah, but it doesn't actually do anything special. Does it measure your heartbeat? Yeah, but like my Moto 360 from 2015 was measuring my heartbeat. Would it tell you if you had an arrhythmia? No. Okay, so it wouldn't. Does it do ECG, the medical grade? It's got a round face, and I think a lot of people wanted a watch with a round face. Yeah, my Moto 360 was the first one that had a round face. And it looks beautiful. Like, it looks like if Mercury was black, like a liquid black blob of Mercury. And the screen isn't quite edge-to-edge like you'd want it to be, but the straps click into place nicely. It, It does look good, doesn't it? It is desirable. I think I've gone through so many wearables now that I'm just a bit... Mm. Are, are, you, are you worn out? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I kind of want either the ultimate health watch. So something that really goes it's next like gen. A- a- Apple watch. Yeah. Okay. Like the Apple watch. Or something that's better on some level. I mean, the things they showed me was turn by turn navigation. Okay. I had that back in 2015. All your notifications. Okay. We've had that forever. The same battery life that almost all watches have now, which is like a couple of days. It's not really game changing. Oh, because they bought Fitbit, they've incorporated Fitbit stuff, but it wasn't like amazing health things. It was the usual sleep tracking and stress tracking and heart rate tracking. Oh, and you can talk to the Google Assistant, which I already do back five years ago. So apart from the Google Assistant getting better. And the animations are more fluid. It does look slightly more fluid, although not as... Mm, Okay, OLED screens have got slightly better, but like, mm, it wasn't great. And it certainly wasn't competing with the Apple Watch, right? So it felt a bit of a letdown. So that was the watch. Pixel Buds Pro felt like they finally decided they're going to try and capitalize on the very lucrative market. They've got noise cancelling. Yeah. Finally got it. ANC. So they've got that. I mean, they'll be fine, right? They'll just be fine. The Buds were fine already wasn't so amazed by that basically to cut to chase i wasn't that amazed by anything from google I. in the fall for pixel watch the pixel tablet not for another year we'll show you the pixel 7 and the pixel 7 pro but they tell you nothing yet. about it yeah and yeah. but when when is that coming out again in the fall so okay. the one thing that is ready now is the 6c which 6A. is a Okay, so everything that cheap you, one. It's like their everything that you liked about the A, but in smaller form factor and for less money. It's their SE model, which is just a bit naff. And um, then at the very end, glasses, Google Glass two. Those well, but with no sense of when it might come or whether what you're being shown is anything like what it will actually be like. So there are a couple of things that blew me away on the AR side. And the glasses was was one of them, not because of the product itself, but because of the use case. I think that whole example so they had of like what, what real translation. So you're real wearing glasses, they look like normal glasses. They're showing translations on the screen subtly, but directly in front of your eyes so that you've got subtitles in the world around you. Yeah. And then they were or they're showing... transcribing it or they'll explain what sign language means to you. They'll transcribe what's being written. If it... you're hard of hearing or if, you have, if, if you're have, if if you deaf, they will write out what it is. It genuinely was amazing. They'll translate it. At least that's what the overlay shows. It's a kind of a visualization well, of what it would be. I, I was imagining, so as you know, a lot of my family live in Malaysia. Tons of different languages. <laughs> I'm not a natural linguist. I don't speak all of the dialects and all the different um, languages that my cousins and aunties and uncles do out there. And then going out there on holidays, you you just end up in situations where you're just like hearing a mixture of different dialects and languages and everything. I would love to have just been able to just have all of that transcribed with subtitles to have an idea of what's going on. And I immediately thought that's super, super useful. Like I can really relate to how practical that would be as an actual useful piece of information, which I think Google Glass, which I, I, I used to trial Google Glass back in, God, when was it? 20, 
fourteen. That was, and it uh, found some good applications, didn't it? In industrial use cases, in training, mm, like for surgery, super, super niche ones that not an, an average consumer. Just why, why would you? Why would you bother? It you look like a muppet, and it didn't really make it feel like that was a practical use case. But this was really cool. There were there were a couple of things that are tied to the AR side, which I thought were really practical and useful. The other one being scene exploration in Android 13, you know, where they're like in a supermarket aisle and you just hold your phone up and it just takes a series of images around it and then it augments over the products key facts about them, price or calorie count and all those different things. I thought that was a really practical example of using Google Lens to just explore a scene. Mm. So I can see that being very practical too. But product-wise, I wasn't blown away. Google Wallet is going to replace Google Pay in all countries except the US, Singapore, and India. Now, Google Wallet used to exist, and then Google Pay replaced it. Before Google Wallet, it was Google Checkout at one point. But Mm. Google Pay came in. uh, Now Google Wallet's coming back, and it's going to be a digital version of your wallet, so you can keep your driving license in there uh, eventually. You'll be able to keep your student ID, your transportation transit cards, and all of your payment cards. Now, I'm not an Android person, so... I don't understand this strange journey you've been on. Why do you keep switching out payment apps, rebranding them, throwing away wallets, adding them back in, but only in markets that aren't the US, Singapore, and India? <laughs> As if I've made those product decisions, but yeah. Um, I need you to justify yourself. I think, so So you've only experienced the Cause, Apple Because over here journey. on Apple, I'll just show you this wallet. It's super handy. You've got your COVID pass, you've got your payment cards, you've got your cinema ticket, you've got your Apple Store value card. You've even got a starter in Maine at nine ninety five for Pizza Express. So, so, okay, so a history lesson that you already know of, so stop me if you've heard it before, but Apple are very considered in their direction for a product and it will generally either get canned at launch, like that bloody crappy chargery thing that didn't work, you know, the wireless charger that you put, that just magically disappeared. Very familiar with it. (laughs) But otherwise, seamlessly evolves and grows over time. The wallet stuff is a great example of that, right? Apple did the wallet brilliantly because they just decided, oh, I know what this is. It's a wallet. What goes in a wallet? Cards, loyalty cards, everything, right? (laughs) They just kind of got it. Google Google tends to do this thing where they'll, they'll throw eight products that do roughly similar things out there and then they'll slowly can different ones of them and then when one of them's really good and it's got a small niche following but doesn't make any money then they'll then can it (laughs) so that they piss off a lot of people Um, and then they'll go oh we've missed something like the google inbox ones that everyone who used inbox loved we'll bring back half of it into gmail they'll be okay with it and i feel like this wallet stuff is now going full circle and they've realized oh actually turns out (laughs) what people wanted from a wallet was stuff you put in a wallet not just Pay there with is something there, there. there is something there <laughs> but i like it it's the right we need we need to to get to this point where we're talking about identity and how all of those things coalesce into something that's really coherent whether it's payments or loyalty or online identity or your twitter profile or whatever it is all of it needs to come together and google definitely have all the ingredients for that they just mm, have always sucked at, at, at bringing them all together so it's the right direction it's really um, interesting to hear you talk about the wallet in the context of obviously coming from a MetaMask, coming from a, like an online Web3 kind of that, your wallet is your identity type place. And then looking at Google Pay, which was the equivalent of Apple Pay, just the transaction layer, and then realizing, no, wait, this is my whole identifier. And it should be, and it could be, if only we brought the wallet back in, attached some Web3 elements and and. You know, it's interesting here you're talking it, about it from that angle. But then if that is the case, and I grant that it may be, why is it, is it a regulatory thing? Why the US, Singapore and oh, India? Oh, I don't know. I think it might be time for not a sponsor. I've got a question for you to kick us off. Where do you buy most of your things from? I buy most of my things from Amazon. Right. And how do you know at Amazon whether you're getting the best price? I don't care. It is the best price. It's Amazon. I've looked up and down. I've scrolled up and down. It's Am- I, yeah. That's all. It's it. It's fine. So I thought um, I was talking to Jen about this, and we were talking about like cost of living crisis and inflation's a genuinely real thing. Prices are all over the place, and it dawned on me that for things where I'm not time sensitive, i.e., I don't need it tomorrow with Amazon Prime, 
but I do know the item I want. I've often used something called camelcamelcamel.com to find the thing I want, set an alert, and it will go back and monitor the price fluctuations on Amazon, and then it will email you when it's at its lowest or when it's dropped below a certain price. And you find this with things that have a certain cyclical nature. So webcams is a really good example where I bought my webcam before the pandemic because I'm nerdy like that and everyone was getting into video calls. I thought that would be really useful. Um, then the pandemic hit and webcams went through the roof. Like a webcam that cost me £30 ended up costing £150. But you can look through the price history and realise, oh, actually, at certain times a year, it kind of drops. And you can just monitor it. And then you can pick up things slightly cheaper because Amazon's very clever like that. They know how to nudge you on price sensitivity. And if it's something where you could have it today, tomorrow, next week or next month, you should set an alert on camelcamelcamel.com and you can get it a lot cheaper. This has historical Great. price tracking of Amazon. They have a really accurate daily pricing of all products on Amazon, which is fantastic and definitely Excellent worth doing. Excellent non-sponsor. Thank you very much. What's the name of the website, please? Camelcamelcamel.com. <laughs> is there a voucher code? There's, there is not. But you don't need it because it's already saving you money. Excellent. I think it's time for This Week in Crypto. This Week in Crypto. And I, I kind of want you to do your market update with a bit more of a zoom out because I've realized when I zoomed out beyond the kind of weekly cycle that we go through that there's a trend. <laughs> oh, interesting. Trend. Interesting. Okay, well, I'll, I'll do the zoomed in version first and then we can zoom out. This week in crypto, Bitcoin started at $36,000 and then it went down to below $26,000 and then back up to about $30,000. We're still at just under $30,000. And overall, crypto is down 20% this week. Also in the markets, by the way, we'll come back to Luna, Terra, UST mm, yeah, we'll do that and the impact on Bitcoin and the Tether contagion. Uh, we'll come back to all of that. Meanwhile, in the, the other markets, this week in the stock market, Wednesday was just literally the worst uh, and ended in a kind of long downward slump. And that's because the CPI figures came out and they showed that prices are rising at 8.3% compared to 12 months ago. But that was down from 8.5% last month, but it was still higher than the expected 8.1% because it was 8.3. And so no one really knew how to process that. And then the stock market did know how to process it by going down. And uh, prices are still rising, 0.3% in April. Again, that's not as bad as March's 1.2% rise, but it's not the forecast 0.2, it's 0.3. So inflation, very much so. You'll recall my 10% prediction. We're on track. Uh, so Thursday was also bad in the markets. Friday, somewhat a recovery. We're still 2% down, but at points we were much worse, 6 to 8. And this is all after last week, of course, the Fed saying that it would rate these interest rates by half a percent. So it, it doesn't feel like the, the Fed is doing a great job of keeping a lid on things over here. Now you want me to zoom out and I'll say that if you step back from one week view to one month view in the crypto uh, sphere, you'll see that things have been trending downwards now for about three weeks. If you step back even further, you'll see that things have been trending downwards now since, let's say, the start of April. Um, and that was this week slash this month in crypto and the markets. It's quite a downtrend. Everything's... Everything's heading in a certain direction. Uh, there, there was something I wanted to ask you about in particular because everything dropped this week, right? It wasn't just the stock market. It wasn't just crypto. It was also commodities. I think soybean, oil, wheat, like everything dropped, if I'm not mistaken, which is the first time all of that's happened. We had like commodities going up for a while, right? But in particular on the stocks, tech stocks, and the kind of things that were doing really well in the pandemic are getting absolutely burnt. Mm. But one thing stuck out, and that was Coinbase. Mm. So, I mean, I'd like to explain before we go any further that I'm 81% down on Coinbase. Jesus. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that happened in Coinbase. Some good, bad, but then there is a silver lining. The first thing was... They reported a quarterly loss of 430 million and a 19% drop in monthly users, which is a sign that the crypto market's getting a bit cooler. 
But didn't they also say, and we expect things to get worse? They they expect things to get worse. They they also, in their earnings report, someone spotted almost like the small print where it said that in the event that they ever went and declared yeah, bankruptcy, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. the crypto assets we hold in custody on behalf of our customers could be subject to bankruptcy proceedings. Coinbase users would become general unsecured creditors, meaning they have no right to claim any specific property from the exchange in proceedings. Which, yeah, which, it's, it's not it's not could be, it's they would. They would be treated as an extension of the funds that we would immediately then secure for the purposes of bankruptcy. Which would not be a shock to any of us, because we always say about the whole, not your keys, not your crypto mantra. And about, it's about not Bitcoin. different from how banks work. Exactly, right? So, But I think everyone was like, oh! That, I didn't know that. But then again, you can just withdraw onto a wallet, any wallet, whether it's like MetaMask or Coinbase's. You well, know, not if they've suspended all exchange withdrawals. Or, which no, but I mean, that point. no, but I mean, like, when you buy crypto, you could just withdraw it to a wallet, right? I see. Yeah, any 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 wallet that you're using. That's not typical user behavior. No, it's not. But it was this exchange. There was a reason why I wanted to bring up Coinbase, because I was looking at all of the downtrend in the market, and everything's kind of down. And dawned on me that you can start to look at these now through a more fundamentals perspective. Fundamentals investors tend to look at the price to earnings ratio, also known as P slash E, as a way of kind of comparing apples to apples. And I just wanted to test a few of them with you because Amazon's is still, even though it's come down a lot, at 52, 52x. ASML, who are the chip manufacturers, the fabricators, is at 40x. Disney, 63. Apple, 24. Teslas, do you want to guess Teslas? 100. 104. So 104 times their price to earnings ratio. What do you think Coinbase is? Oh, 20. 4.6. Mm. Bearing in mind, JP Morgan Chase is 8.8. So Coinbase, from a fundamentals perspective, even in the down market, they still make money. They are projecting more hardship, but actually their relative valuation compared to the rest of the market is, is really, really undervalued. Just just mm. looking at the kind of bucket they sit in, really, really stood out. So I just thought yeah. if you are one of those people who looks at kind of the fundamentals of these companies, if there's much to cling on to, they're an interesting one because actually that would suggest they're slightly undervalued relative to their peers even though everything's in a weird free-fall state. So, <laughs> thank you for your encouraging words about Coinbase. <laughs> You're welcome. Something else happened this week that made yeah. all forms of news. talk about the thing that's taken stablecoins to the front page of the Financial Times? Have Janet Yellen speak out on them in the past week? So basically, we covered stablecoins in the How Do I Crypto segment two weeks ago. and uh, Which was our last episode. And, and it all hell's broken loose. <laughs> so, well, when we were covering it, I thought, this, this is boring. Is boring. <laughs> this is arcane. And not many people have a reason to find this relevant. And then one stablecoin went down, an algorithmic stablecoin, no less. And in the process of going down, it, it kind of took Bitcoin downwards with it. Hmm. Talk about what happened. Let's. Can we also go into the conspiracy theories? <laughs> I mean, maybe, but but also maybe not. So one of the stable coins that we discussed last time was Terra, UST, not to be confused with the USDT. So UST, it's on the Terra ecosystem. Which is T-E-R-R-A. Algorithmic stable coin. So it tries to peg to the dollar purely based on kind of incentives and is not collateralized by anything. For a while, it's it's been fine. It's It's been absolutely fine. And Luna, which is the coin that powers the Terra ecosystem, has been going through the roof. And it's been like the golden child of the year. It's like $80 or something, right? Uh, it went all the way up to like 120 at one point. It was really doing wonders. And the, the, do you know Murphy's Law? Yeah. So if anything can go wrong, it will. This is one of those where... The guys on the Bankless podcast, they have been proven right, actually, because they're concerned with this. Is It's all fine, but you'd never put, like, real money in it because it's just, like, it's not really proven. And it's one of those things where there there are systemic risks to it. Just because it's not collateralized by anything, 
a run on the bank could really happen and it's got nothing really backing it if, if everyone loses faith in it, right? Anyway, that all collapsed this week but in a, there was a phenomenal huge, way. There was a bit, wasn't there, I mean, the colossal amounts of reserves and funds that would be prepared to step in both on the anchor side and in a kind of trust that were building up a kind of war chest to shore up the battlements and make this a bit so, safer. So can we can we talk about how it works? Because I think that's a key part of all of this. So an algorithm stablecoin, unlike any collateralized stablecoin, tries to have that incentive mechanism to make people keep it as close to a dollar as possible. When it goes above one dollar in value, one dollar of Luna can be burned and redeemed for one UST that pushes the price of Luna up because it becomes more scarce gives the user you know a dollar and then vice versa if it falls you can swap one ust for one dollar worth of luna so the idea being that they both keep each other in check and for a long time that held its peg they set up something to lfg anyway that was meant to build up a war chest of bitcoin and and other things that were collateralized in there in case anything went wrong and you had all these protocols that were basically paying 20% interest on your UST to try and incentivize people to hold UST and deposit it there and lock it up. And that's been working fine. But I think this is where you can get into your conspiracy theories. Once it had pushed the peg with a lot of UST selling down to about 95, 96 cents, it started to wobble. And then you end up with the same ponzinomics that push luna to its peak the opposite happened they've got ust so they're like no 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 i need to get out of this so they're getting rid of ust they're ending up getting given luna then they're selling luna to then get into something that's neither of them and so you just get this feedback loop of a race to the bottom for both so the peg started falling more so then your ust gives you even more luna each time you're trading it in because Luna's going down in price, then you're selling that, pushing it even further. You can see where this is going. No one steps in at that point, because who's going to try and catch that knife? You've got billions that's getting liquidated. And the war chests that they had that were meant to come and step in, those are in like Bitcoin and everything else, which is also getting pulled down in value. So nothing's really sitting behind it. So on the 4th of May, Luna was worth, let's say, $86. And then during the course of this week, it started at, let's say, $80 this week. And by the end of the 11th of May, Wednesday, uh, it was already not $80, but let's call it, I don't know, $1. Thursday, it's one cent. Now, there's a lot of zeros. Mm. Is it ever going to recover? No, not not in its original form. And it's, What's it's... happened with the exchanges? So which exchanges are still supporting it? Because it's got yanked from Binance, I assume. Because they, they put out a warning that they said certain pairs are going to be removed. So, so FTX was still doing it. And right. what's the one no one uses anymore? Bitfinex. I think Bitfinex yeah. was still doing it. It was interesting because I, I genuinely thought at first when it started to wobble, wobbling by four or five cents is recoverable. MakerDAO's die had a few wobbles over the years to about 95 cents. Mm. MakerDAO is collateralized. If it wobbles too much, you don't have collateral in ETH. It will liquidate you, and then the people who have put in ETH and being issued die, they would get liquidated. So it kind of has its own correction mechanism. The, the UST and Luna doesn't, and I I hadn't appreciated just how broken the actual model was and how subject it is to free market forces. I think of this as kind of a reverse Ponzi. And whenever you get a run on the banks in, an, in any other system where you're under collateralized which a lot of banks use fractional reserve banking like not, not many of them hold a one-to-one ratio right but normally they can just prevent withdrawals or just freeze things and you can kind of stop that capital controls can come into place you can't do that in a true free market like this and so you just had everyone getting on it the shorts the exchanges the hedge funds the big traders you can't lose by shorting it because it could only go in one direction. There was no one able to step in and prop up that system because what happens, and I'll, I'll show you this great chart, because what happens in that situation is as the price of Luna drops more than UST, you end up printing exponentially more Luna because everyone redeems their UST, ends up with Luna and sells it. But you just kept getting issued more and more Luna. And so the amount that got issued... <laughs> 
was just was just bonkers, right? You ended up with fifth of May, three hundred forty three million lunar circulating. Eighth of May, three hundred forty three million lunar. Ninth of May, three hundred forty five million lunar. And then it starts to fall, <laughs> and then the amount getting issued meant that by the twelfth of May, just on that one day alone, twenty one trillion had been issued. You're looking at like, <laughs> it's literally hyperinflation at an algorithmic level. So it's not, it's not like there's a money issuer. It's just the algorithm itself forced that to happen, which is problematic. Do you want to hear what Vitalik said about it? Yeah, go on, tell me. He, a few weeks ago, was talking about this and it's almost like he's prescient. So he said that there's other projects doing insanely risky, undercollateralized stuff. And that the biggest fallacy that a lot of newbies have when they judge stable coins is that they focus on the price and how much it fluctuates from like 99 cents to $1.01, thinking that's the good judge of a stable coin, how close it is to a dollar. But they're wrong because that's largely a function of a good market maker. And anyone can hire a good market maker to try and keep something at that price for a period of time. And that was quite interesting that he said that a few weeks ago and then this happens. Can you remind me, so first of all, just as a as a sort of touchstone, the reason we need an algorithmic stablecoin, not a centralized stablecoin, is why? If we can find one that works. So so I thought about this more after our last podcast, and there's two types of stablecoin from a centralization perspective, right? There's centralized or there's decentralized. Algorithmic ones, by their nature, are more decentralized. But you can have collateralized decentralized ones like MakerDAO's die, And I think I didn't articulate that properly last time. The idea of an algorithmic stablecoin is pretty sound. In theory, if you have the right incentives to make it profitable for people to keep something at a certain price, hopefully that should work. But it doesn't work out in reality. Do you want to revise your view on algorithmic stablecoins? I mean, yeah. so MakerDAI, in your view, still comes out of this it's collateralized it's algorithmic it still comes out of this in a good place and the benefit of it being decentralized is that it's not the kind of coin that gets shut down if yeah. some canadian truckers block a road <laughs> yeah so so die has come out of this in my in my view looking very very solid it is truly decentralized it can't be shut down there's no central authority that kind of issues it I don't think it can be classed as being algorithmic because it is collateralized, but it is truly decentralized. So to get DAI, you have to basically deposit ETH into that contract and then you're issued DAI. And if your ETH goes down lows in value and it reaches a certain threshold, they will liquidate you and you will lose your ETH. That's kind of a pretty solid model. In high levels of volatility, it can fluctuate a bit, but it tends to regain its peg and it's done very well at, at achieving that. I think the experimentations in algorithmic stablecoins will stop for a while because regulation is coming. And it was coming fast before, but like you said, Janet Yellen was talking about this the moment it happened. And I just really hope regulators don't paint the whole industry with the same brush. Have you noticed that the EU's trying to go even further on its um, KYC requirements? So there used to be a threshold under which... I think payments under a thousand dollars weren't going to be subject mm. to KYC for unhosted wallets, uh, aka actual wallets, um, and so exchanges were going to have I don't know a bit of space, just just like a few fingers in between the collar where they could just about breathe. But what the EU is now proposing, according to a recent amendment, is that uh, the threshold is zero dollars. So the KYC is going to be required for all unhosted wallets, movement of funds from an exchange to a, an actual wallet. And uh, that's where we are currently with the legislation in the EU. And it'll be interesting now that the UK has left the EU to see these two regulatory regimes next to each other. And how do they behave in terms of encouraging innovation or preventing nefarious online activity. Mm. I'm worried about the regulation space now. This is really problematic because there's always been the joke, oh, it could go to zero. That it could be that stable coins are the thing that ends up destabilizing the world's financial system. Doesn't look so implausible. Talk a bit about what happened to Tether this week. Great news for Tether. I mean, I think Tether's horrendously run don't get me wrong but there was a little bit of contagion spillover where i think 
this is the lovely thing about the fee market, right? In the sense that you're stress testing the whole system in the wild. When you did that with the UST, it absolutely crashed and burned. And loads of funds tried to go and do the same with Tether. And they went to Tether. I would like to trade in my USDT for a dollar. And all of it got redeemed. And, you know, I think the other tweet the other day was like, they've had like 200 or 300 million dollars. People have cashed out and they've been issued real US dollars. The more Tether can do that, the stronger it becomes, right? And that's, you're familiar with like the, the Lindy effect, mm. where the, the longer something survives, the more likely it is to survive in the future. And I think this is a big thing with stable coins and with all crypto, where its ability to continue functioning as it's expected starts to build that level of trust and resilience. And I honestly think that I hope there's a big push from all actors in the market to really stress test stable coins. And the ones that survive will be a hundred times stronger as a result. And the ones that fail will burn a lot of people. But I think it's better to get rid of them now. When Tether unpegged down to about 96 cents down from a dollar um, and then went back up. And that was the impact. It's like Vitalik said though, right? You've got to decouple market makers readjusting to try and like bridge that that arbitrage versus you not being able to redeem a dollar from Tether, the issuer. I think that the fact that you can see on their Tether contract address how much people are burning Tether and getting issued dollars and they've, they've met every single one. So as much as I think they're horrendous and if you ever watch an interview with the people at that bank that's behind it, it's really, really shady. But like... Yes, Proof is in the pudding, right? If you're if you're able to keep redeeming dollars against USDT, okay, well done. I really don't want them to become the main stablecoin. Though, let me just caveat that. I'm just happy that they didn't fall over and buckle. And, and just worth mentioning, also, CZ broke his silence on this, which I thought was very, very interesting. What did he say? So CZ never comments on other projects because obviously yep. Binance, founder of Binance, Binance rely on all the projects on them, right? But he actually put out a thread criticizing the Terra project community for not handling this situation better. And he compared it to Axie, where he said, you know, Axie Infinity, the team took accountability after the hack. They had a plan. They worked with us to, to get things back on track. And he, he said they have suspended training, trading in Luna and in UST because they were so disappointed by the way the project handled it. And that the best way they would have expected the team to recover from this would be to restore the network, because the network went down multiple times, just randomly holding it, to burn the extra minted Luna, i.e. the 21 trillion that I mentioned earlier, and to try and recover the UST peg as quickly as possible for the benefit of all the people who are stuck holding it, right? And they haven't done that, right? The Tether, the actual Tether project people have been just struggling to get a grip. And Doquan has put out there as being like, don't worry, we have a plan. It's like, they don't have a plan. Um, so, so, and CZ never does this, right? So this is the first time he's ever come out critically to kind of condemn a project, which is very interesting. Very good. Jonathan, there's some news on Ethereum. Ethereum, the movie. You're going to watch it. I don't know what this is. <laughs> Do you know who Ridley Scott is? I am aware of Ridley Scott, famous director. So directed Gladiator, his production Aliens. company. Did, yeah, the House of Gucci, Blade Runner 2049. Anyway, they're going to do a film called The Infinite Machine about the founding of the Ethereum network. And it sounds like a documentary. Based on the book by the founder at The Defiant, so Camilla Rousseau. And so you're going to have, you're going to have people playing Vitalik, and you're going to have people playing Charles Hoskinson. And it's going to be a really interesting... Is it going to be like the social network? Will it be dramatized? It'll, it'll literally be the social be... network. Okay. But you're going to yeah. have the founding of Ethereum. And then you're going to have the DAO hack. You're going to have all the infighting of the founders all leaving. It could be interesting. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is it mainstreams Ethereum. And you're going to have like Gavin Wood. So he was one of the, he literally invented Solidity, right? And like one of the key founders who wrote the original Ethereum source code. And you're going to have like him leaving and creating Polkadot. You're going to have all the story play out. 
it's funded by a DAO as well. So it's got all the right ingredients oh, cool. of like community funding. So they recruited Ridley Scott. Yeah. So Scott Fee Productions will be the production company behind it. And who knows? It could have some big names. People are joking about like Timothy Chalamet being like Vitalik. I don't know. That could be a hilarious. I think he could pull it off. I think it's a big moment in general consciousness for crypto. I hope it's entertaining. I hope it's uh, good. I have yeah. a question about this summer. Uh, summer's coming. It's already getting warmer in the northern hemisphere, and I also hear that layer two summer is coming. Layer two solutions reduce gas fees on the Ethereum network. And you've been excited for some time about a variety of layer two solutions. And by getting involved in them early, you've been receiving airdrops of tokens that are either already worth something or will be worth something or will allow you to do some governance. So this week you were really happy about HOP because of HOP protocol. Tell me a bit more about that. I haven't been airdropped yet, but I've definitely qualified. Did you qualify for it? Okay, yeah, I did it. I did hop. I've got the hop. I'm really looking forward to it. Right, so hop's an interesting one. It allows you to hop between different layer two networks without having to go back up to layer one. So you kind of avoid that layer one fees. And so it's quite interesting that now the team of three, I think, three or four, is launching a governance token. They're going to decentralize the hop protocol. The way they've done the airdrop's really cool. They've obviously got the usual stuff, which is trying to set the qualification criteria based on people's usage of the hot protocol. But then often what happens with airdrops is people, there's like bot farms, like farm airdrops, right? Just just randomly just spamming it to just get a bit more of the airdrop. They've used this cool mechanism where they've, they've identified a lot of the bot farms from behavior, looking through previous transactions, silly transactions of like 0.001 ETH, back and forth, back and forth. But they've also given the community two weeks to find those bot wallets and people who are essentially doing a civil attack to try and like get more of this governance token and to call them out. And if you call them out, you can get 25% of what they would have got. But also if you're the bot farmer and you raise your hand and go, it's me, I was basically just trying to game your system, you then get 25% as well. So it's kind of incentivizing people to just own up to being a bot farmer for the airdrop. And I think it's a cool way of doing it, right? Optimism chose the whole, we're going to reward anyone who's used the layer two solution bit. Hop have gone down this route of making it a bit more of a fair airdrop. You know that Arbitrum will do a token. You know that ZK Sync will do a token. We probably will hear something from the Stark net guys in terms of theirs. Who knows? All of them will happen. And I'm thinking, although crypto looks like it's really dying at the moment, it's amazing what things will happen as we approach the merge and Ethereum moving to proof of stake. And all these layer two solutions coming online in a very big way later this year. That could be an interesting bellwether signal, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's already warming up for layer two summer. Hopefully. Be really crappy if that happened during a massive bear market. <laughs> Wouldn't it? That would, just, that would just be sad. But um, no, on a fundamental basis, very, very cool. Jonathan, I think it might be the time for this week in NFTs. What have Instagram been doing recently? <laughs> um instas started doing nfts i don't know <laughs> you did it you missed the new story um there's, there's a great video or not weirdly enough on twitter there's a video on twitter of adam mozeri who's the head of instagram explaining what they're doing you know how on twitter you could verify your profile picture yeah you can now post your nfts on instagram okay as your profile picture and how would it no, be? No, no, as a post. As a post. Okay. With a... And is it verified? Yeah. With the... Is it hexagonal? No. No. Okay. Anyway, it's limited. It's limited for a few people at the moment. So not everyone gets to do it while they're testing it out. But okay. it was cool. The video is actually not terrible, right? Because he addresses the elephant in the room about the tension between crypto and NFTs as a whole, all about distribution and decentralization. And... Instagram is a centralized platform. So we appreciate that there's that tension. He kind of addressed it and, and explained that they're going to take it slow with this whole thing. They're just slowly testing it out to see whether people do want to post their favorite NFTs. I think it's a really interesting moment. It helps NFTs, I think. So this next story is not really news, apart from the fact that it's huge numbers involved, if that's what qualifies it for news. Like it wouldn't be normal news. What, what, is, what is happening? Lego and Sony are investing in NFTs? Well, in the metaverse, strictly speaking. So Kirkby, who's the parent company of Lego, who already have a partnership with Epic Games, 
and Sony, who already have a partnership with Epic Games for things like Fortnite and everything. They've each invested $1 billion into Epic for the creation of its new metaverse. Yeah. I mean, it's just huge numbers, but actually no one knows what any of it means. Sorry, how much money? Each have invested a billion dollars. See what I mean? It's like, what? It's hard to swallow how much money that is, apart from the fact that this news is nonsense. It has the words Lego, which is, who doesn't love Lego? Sony and Epic. Okay, we know those names. And then Metaverse. But then when you realise there's $2 billion going into this, you're just like, what are they building? So who was the publisher behind Lego Star Wars, Lego Jurassic World, Lego Marvel Super Heroes, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens? Because all those Lego games were, they weren't Epic, were they? No. So Epic's behind Fortnite and its valuation. Epic's currently in a a massive ongoing litigation with Apple. Epic's valuation is $32 So the investment from Sony and Lego of $1 each, I guess it's a drop in the bucket in that context. Mm -hmm. But $2 from anyone into making a metaverse it is it is a compelling investment like it's you know it's it's comparable to the amount that yuga will be putting in alongside improbable and alongside amioka brands into making the ape metaverse other side so that's serious mm. and it isn't much compared to what facebook is putting up in horizon worlds it, because it, we said that horizon worlds lost 10 billion last year yeah yeah so it's not much compared to that it's weird that it's Actually, it's weird it's, that it's lego yeah you know, you're right. like, like that, that's a lot of money. Sure. It's really bold for, for Lego, who we know for reinventing themselves um, with its creator community, its ecosystem, its renewed appeal to adults, and then the Lego movie and the video games and the kind of massive reinvention of what it was. It's, but it's weird for them to make such a bold bet on the metaverse. Do you remember ages ago we joked about, oh my God, imagine if Lego launched its own NFT project, how amazing and iconic that would be. Just because Lego, physical Lego trades in a huge collector community already. Like No, for my, it was my, it was, it was, it my was, your, it was your NFT fake project thing, right? Yeah. This feels like, Lego are very creative. I think they've got a good idea of where it's going, but it's so vague and high level at the moment. You've just basically got $2 billion going into a $30 billion company to make a family friendly metaverse. Gosh, in the most boring NFT news that can exist, there are three and four letter ENS domains, by which I mean kind of domain names, but they're decentralized. And the people who've bought these domain names, which could be like 1234.something, those people think they're in a club and they think they're in a DAO, and they think they're really cool, and that's become an exclusive club. Tell me a bit more about what, what the deal is with this thing. Yeah, I think you pretty, much, you pretty much summed it up, right? Ethereum name service, it's the domain name service for Ethereum, which is really cool because it can like link to your addresses. You control it the same way you would control a domain name for a website. But yeah, some people started buying up 1234 or 999.eth or 001 or 007.eth. And then the people who were from 0 to 999 decided they were part of the three number club. And then more people were like, oh, but I want to be it. And so the people between 1000 and 9999 are part of the four number club. There's probably a five number club and stuff that's come up. But people are buying these because essentially they're NFTs. It's not even joking about a JPEG anymore. It's just numbers. Then again, three letter websites like a dot com thing will set you back you know hundred two hundred thousand dollars because there's there's only so many of them around right so there is a kind of precedence for this can you remind me dot eth is that the one where you do still have to keep paying uh annual fees or do you own it forever no it's a lease for a certain amount of time next since we last spoke <laughs> a lot of things have moved on on the other side the other side uh which is yuga's ape metaverse and land has come into being since we last spoke what, so, what happened yeah what did happen basically people who had apes or mutant apes they kind of got some land dropped to them for free in the kind of increasingly galling and now classic tradition of people who are in on this 
just getting free money regularly. It just, it keeps happening. Anyway, that's what they got. Uh, everyone else, if they signed up at an obscure website called something is brewing XYZ long enough ago and then did some KYC, they would have got the chance to then buy using the ape coin that they'd already got some land if they were really fast, but also if they paid a literally eye-watering amount of money in gas fees. So let's say between, for the sake of argument, $3,000 to $6,000 just in postage and packaging gas fees to get the transaction to happen. And many people did pay that. Some of them paid it, but the thing never arrived because of congestion on the network. And Yuga, to their credit, did actually make good and make those people whole by sending them back and refunding them their gas fees. So that's what happened. This is the beginning of the other side, Metaverse of the Apes. There's been a few more bits of information dropped today, and there's been some cool animations released, a little bit of a teaser video. The map has got a bit richer. The coders have had more detail revealed about them. Coders are strange beings that inhabit certain parcels of land. How are you thinking about this, and how are you feeling about it? So my, my thoughts on this, kind of, I don't want to get into the other side as a project or what it could be because I just don't know at the moment and it will change by the time this podcast airs no doubt gas was off the charts and actually I think the story from this which was quite interesting was Ethereum worked as expected huge demand actually the biggest NFT airdrop ever and then secondary volume was humongous actually afterwards as well so gas was just insane it went up to five six seven thousand gray which at that point you're paying multiples of ETH for a transaction, which is mad, to the point where Yuga did the stupid tweet where they were like, oh, sorry, we broke Ethereum. Sorry, we turned the lights out on yeah. Ethereum. Yeah, looks like we'll have to set up our own blockchain, to which the Ethereum community, even the ones that are fans of the Board 8 Block Club, were just like, come on, guys, like, it's ridiculous. That's Ethereum working as expected. You basically did a mint that created a phenomenal amount of demand you didn't do any whitelisting didn't do it in a staggered way just had this this countdown essentially what do you know about making a blockchain or a sidechain we we want this to run on ethereum not on your dodgy yuga chain some weird separate thing so that was a bit annoying for people because it felt like they were using it as a pr stunt to kind of prop up the whole yuga ecosystem oh that means ape will then power this separate blockchain and all this other nonsense that i think frustrated people and they've got to be careful that they get ahead of themselves because they are literally just a big brand right that as soon as they lose that credibility they'll lose all their value so um what do you think about what they released the video so it's called the trip and it's the first footage we've seen from inside the other side metaverse and it shows a bald ape running along sort of quite a very fluid gate jumping from one sort of island in the galaxy to another through a portal jumping up in the air and down it shows distant islands with pagodas on floating islands in the sky laputa type thing it's got a swamp area with what appears to be an invisible deeper section that you can't walk towards but an area where you can access potentially the actual yacht club from the opening video teaser shot where there's the ape in the lagoon with a kind of swamp-like florida type setting with the um with the kind of clubhouse behind him and the kind of physics you'd expect it looks pretty fluid looks nice does the kind of things you'd, you'd want it to do when Yuga released their video, they said, nobody's going to pay all this money and get all this excited just to go to a 3D chat room mm. and hang out and talk to other people. And when I look at this video, all I see is a 3D chat room. So let's see how it develops from here, because it was a 15 second clip on Twitter. And what we've seen in the meantime is um, quite an involved process. So today they've shown what kind of effectively the roadmap is for development of land and the way that the coders are going to get unlocked the different resources are going to get unlocked there's going to be a destructive force that reduces some of the resources but i think if you're a holder of land i suspect that on a recurring basis new resources are going to get 
airdrop to you of the type that's in that land. It's going to be possible to break out parts of the NFT as separate elements. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Some of the stuff that we haven't seen before. It'll be good to watch it develop. And what's also I guess appealing is that they're talking about it in quite a collaborative sense. So land owners, current holders of land, will be part of the creative process collaboratively to bring this into being. Do you think the narrative building is good enough at the moment? I mean, it's funny you should mention that because people who have really prided themselves on their storytelling, like Wagmi-san at 10KTF, have conversely come through with like graphically astonishingly poor <laughs> developments this week. So Wagmi-san recruited a band of 10,000 of his true followers to come to his Tokyo shop in New Tokyo and help him rebuild after various people had come after him and his protection money hadn't, hadn't done its job. In the course of signing up, you could don some of your grailed garb, you could fit up uh, your avatar with all its clothes, and then you could volunteer to help clear up the shop. At the end of that, you were presented with a still image that said, thanks for that, thanks for helping, it's really good of you to volunteer. And then at the end of that, you were presented with another image that said, now the shop looks nice, have a little bit of thread. And that is what apparently narrative-based storytelling is all about, as opposed to you know 3D engines and Improbable's uh, 3D game engine. You don't seem very impressed by the battle for New Tokyo at the moment. This first instalment feels like a totally like a dry run. Like they're just checking that all the thing works and like nothing happens for two days. They're like, okay, it's the countdown, big countdown. Everyone sign up, everyone sign up. Then, then it goes on. It's like, okay, we're just sweeping up a bit of the dust. We're cleaning up this bit of broken glass. And then at the end, it's like, ta-da, thank you for your help. Nothing has happened. Here is another still image. Well, mm, but the tweets kept going, right? So, no? Yes, I've not read those. So I think this is what's quite interesting about the whole... Oh my God, is that what I think it is? <gasps> Talk to me, Jonathan. What's happening? This is why narrative building matters. So, you had the whole... Oh, the shops weren't down. We need to go build it. You had to essentially stake, right? It was a way of making people stake stuff by staking not just your profile picture, i.e. a world of women or a board ape or whatever, but also the, the other items that you'd crafted. And then the more items you crafted that matched, the more whatever you'd get. So I got like a spool of thread or something. Anyway, they rebuilt the shop. Then they had the whole, meanwhile, kagami, which in Japanese means... Mirror. Mirror, and they had the whole wires with Wagmi-san, which is a whole load of mirrors like flickering, and then it comes up with a profile picture. Then they build the shop. Then at the end, you had this kind of like picture of picture of his ledger book, just of like how many things people had staked. Yeah, because he took a snapshot. And then we suddenly got a thing just today: World of Women Galaxy on a hoodie. Someone I know has a World of Women Galaxy, and then a me bit on a cap. <laughs> and do you mean an actual real world cap or do you mean a three dome like a, a I mean a, a wagmi grailed cap so you can do it with me bits right. and then yes. a noun you love noun project and noun style on a hoodie um, and also the what are they called those birds those owls you know the ones we talked about the other day yeah nesting <gasps> that, that thing and then yeah. a crypto punk on a hoodie so this new right. shop now has enabled everyone to get those things and then it's right. him with all these new characters, all in the shop as it reopens. Right. Okay, well, I can see they've really swept you along with this whole thing. No, but then there's this really weird video. Like, not just the renderings. Like, they're real hoodies, Doug. They're the real hoodies in the studio. This isn't This isn't just a rendering. There's, like, real merch that they're now showing in the shop. And then Rugby Sound says, gather around, friends. I don't want to forget this. He's going to take another snapshot basically take back everything you said about world building and narrative and everything because what 10ktf has managed to achieve is a strange system where you actually have incentivized nft staking to not get anything like some coin or something but just to get another nft <laughs> and it's not just their project so the fact that you have to stake an eligible profile picture a board ape 
uh, World of Women or something. They're creating an incentive for people to hold, right? Across any eligible product, which is itself, it's 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 almost like they're creating the blue chips of the NFT world because now people who hold supported projects have been chosen and the people who hold those, I assume as to be part of, to be eligible for the thing, will have to create various items of clothing from the shop and then they'll want to hold their profile picture because they won't want to trade that because it actually has, it has a weird value within that ecosystem. It's incredible. I think it's genius. I got a spool of third. Well done. Uh, I will check later on today to see what I got. Jonathan, in a, I'm just <laughs> glad that you're happy. I'm just glad that you're happy. Are you not? Well done. Are you not amazed? Okay, you're telling me that there's a hoodie, a real world live world hoodie with a World of Women galaxy on it. And it's not like um. There's like a collection of them in the studio. Right. Real yeah. clothes. Basically, they have... They have mastered- so the thing that we talked about before is coming to pass. Essentially, Infinity Hoodie that will never run out. Might be might be mine for the World of Women Galaxy support, Mebit support, Nounstar support, the Moonbirds, and CryptoPunks, all now supported as part of the shop. That is, if you wanted to be like, who are the blue chip NFTs? It's just the ones that this is supporting. That's basically it now. And then there's so much overlap between this and the stuff that you are doing at the other side. There's so many little clues that are hidden between the stuff. I feel like this is the lo-fi the side comic book edition version of the big blockbuster film that comes out in, you know, the Avengers in the cinema versus all the actual fans go for the comic book and then detail through all the different issues. That's this. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. There's an interesting medium happening there. I love it. I think this is very creative and it's a great example of what the NFT community has to offer. Mm. All right. Well, um, you know, good. The uh, Oni people obviously in the ktf but not so much in the yuga so i wonder if they'll eventually get um, the representation they deserve i am going to move us towards the new segment which we haven't agreed on a name for yet this is the part we close out with a game which is a new format same format as last week but uh, we're going to call it uh, nft or the tiger who came to tea (laughs) And in this one, you have to, you get some headlines and you have to find out, you have to figure out which ones are real. And one is real. It's like a real NFT related headline. And one is one that I've made up. Go for it. Are you ready? Akamai launches first NFT artwork dynamically fueled by the internet. (laughs) Does that have a source? You're You're not not going to get any of that from me. Just the headline. It's not happening. Nonsense. Okay. Next. Next, Seller Mali to launch world's first fine dining performance NFT auction. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm going to go with the second one as being real because I just don't think Akamai, is that something, is that a venture Akamai would do? The, read that first title again because it was just terribly written. Akamai launches first NFT artwork dynamically fueled by the internet. Oh, actually, that sounds like it could actually happen. This is complete nonsense. Okay. I'm still going to think that that's fake. So that's not real. And then the real one is the Selamali thing. Are you sure? Yeah, why not? So you're saying that the NFT is Selamali and the tiger who came to tea is Akamai launches? Yes. Okay. So, Jonathan Tipper, I can confirm that indeed Selamali is the tiger who came to tea. That's not real. That's not a real NFT. She's not launching the world's first fine dining performance NFT auction, whatever that might mean. But Akamai, is that's a real NFT. Akamai is launching the first NFT artwork dynamically fueled by the internet. What might that mean? I hear you ask. I'll tell you. Multidisciplinary artist R. Luc Dubois shapes trillions of bytes of Akamai data into portrait of life online. Based on data drawn from the Akamai Intelligent Edge platform, the NFT will visually evolve in real time as internet traffic changes and cyber attacks launch. Thank you. The internet. Okay. Well, we need a new game format. I suck at this one too. And thank you, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, Great pod. Excellent pod. Speak to you next week. Next week. Started during lockdown. Needed something to do. They looked at each other. They said, hey, I like talking to you. And so far.